0: And turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. We have some unfinished business. We want to finish this passage. Last week we got about halfway through it, and uh, I trust, like myself, you were overwhelmed with the truths of this text. It was a glorious thing when the church starts to realize actually who they are and, and what our role is and, and what, what the goal of church is. Wonderful things happen when we start to center it back where it belongs. Bible reads this way, Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature man, to the measure of the stature of which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You may be seated. Well, Father, this morning we can't do this work alone. I can't preach this word without your spirit. We can't hear this word without him piercing our hearts and, Entering our thought process and our understanding. So we do ask, Lord, that you'd be with us in a unique way this morning. We do thank you for your bride, the church. We thank you that you have called out from among the peoples of the world, the people, for your own possession. We're humbled by that, Lord. And we want to worship and learn and teach and preach and sing as those people who understand that. So today, give us a fuller understanding of the church which you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we jumped off with verse 11 here, and we begin to understand what God is doing here. He has given us incredible detail to how the church is to operate. We saw in verse 11 that he has gifted the church down through the ages with men. He's given them apostles and prophets, these men that walked with Jesus, these men who gave the word of God out before the canon was complete, before we had a full canon of scriptures. They were speaking it, writing it. He also has given the church evangelists, those who preach the gospel to the lost, who proclaim people, proclaim to people how they can have their sins forgiven, how they can have a right relationship with God, and he's also given shepherds, pastors, and teachers to the church to care for them. Verse 12, we realized that there is an equipping process that goes on. This is what men that God has given to the church down through the ages have been doing and what they should be doing and continue to do. And equipping is a very important part of it. So the instructions are given to the leadership, equip the saints, equip the saints. Pastors who do not equip the saints someday will give an account to the, to the Lord. And it is a strict judgment to those who teach. And so they are challenge here to equip the saints. We looked at five areas last week um, that we just want to remind ourselves of, of, that our equipping is to be done in these areas. First in scripture. Leadership is to help the body of Christ develop a deep love for the scriptures. To understand that their lives are to live according to the scriptures. To understand that it's God's word, inerrant, infallible word of God given to us to direct our lives. We are given to help drive you to the scriptures as we ourselves are driven to them. They are our authority. Second, we learn that Christ was the way we equipped believers we were to teach the word of God and as we teach the word properly in context as God has laid it down the sole main figure of of scriptures is Jesus and it doesn't take you long to learn to study the scriptures and you find Jesus all through from the old to the new he is the message of the book he is the center of it And we are to grow up understanding, being equipped in this, that Jesus is the center of truth, and thus he should be the center of our lives. And so we are to teach, we are to equip Christ-centeredness, the sufficiency of Christ. He is enough. You don't have to look for another. You don't have to turn to something else. It isn't Christ plus something. It is Christ alone. We hold to those words. We die to those words. Christ alone. Third, we realize that prayer was an essential aspect of equipping the saints for the work of the service. If we don't pray, we will not be seeking the Christ of the scriptures. Prayer is, is, uh, is so important to a believer's life. It is that Prayer room that we we and I all engage in, where we speak with our Heavenly Father, we pass through a, a split veil because Christ split that veil and brought us to the presence of God. It is that veil we come through right into the presence of the Almighty God. Every time you pray, you are in the throne room of God. Now, I hope that rattles you a little bit. Not to stop praying, but to pray. Lord, I am in your presence. I may be on 101 commuting, but I am in your presence, and it's a surreal thought to think that earthly, fleshly believers can step at any moment into the presence of God through prayer. We must teach you that. We must lead by example as leaders to equip the church to pray. Fourth, we talked about repentance, how important it is for the body of Christ. To repent of sins, own sin. Now, we know there's a repentance unto salvation. When we come to know Christ, we repent of our sins and put our faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But there is repentance for a believer, owning sin. It is the thing that will stop a church from growing, stop a marriage from loving each other, stop um, parents from being able to raise children who love Jesus, is when there is no repentance. We must own our sin. One of the things that leadership is to do is to equip people to deal with sin. I have done this. I own this. Not blame shifting, but I own this. We repent. Oh, the Lord loves repentance. I said this last week. My mentor taught me years ago, if it's sin, Scott, you have an answer for it. Christ died for it. If it's somebody else's fault, slap him on the back and tell them good luck. Because there's, there's no forgiveness for sins if it's somebody else's fault. When we own our sins, it brings us right to the cross again, and we realize, oh, Lord, this is what nailed you to the cross. I am so sorry. Give me strength, Lord, by the, by the work on the finished work on the cross to not live that way any longer. Repentance is crucial to a healthy, growing church. Suffering we, was the fifth one. We talked about equipping Suffering is part of our lives. We live in a fallen world. We deal with sin, the, the, the problem of sin in every realm. Our bodies, our homes. If you don't paint your house, what happens to it? It eventually deteriorates. Now, you can put the best stuff on there. You may get 20 years out of it, huh, Phil? But, but, but you've got to take care of it, don't you? Everything is decaying. When sin entered the world, what came with it? Death by sin. And so suffering is part of a believer's life. But you know what our great God does? He takes suffering to help refine us. He allows us to suffer. He allows us to go through difficulties. He allows us to see people struggling from some illness or, or some, something that happened to them, even from the womb Back. To realize that we need a savior. We need a savior. We live in a fallen world. And when we suffer, we should realize that God allows all things for his purposes to come into our lives. You fight suffering and you'll get a hard heart. We all will. Our hearts will become hard. And so one of the things that leadership is to do is help, encourage, love, help you suffer that brings glory to the Lord. That is what we are to do. Next, we looked at service. Service is a result of faithful men holding up Christ to the body and whom, in return, respond with a worshipful service for the Lord. That's our goal, to preach Christ to you. You fall in love with Christ and you start to see needs and meet them. We could give you list and list of things to do around here and they would probably get done, but then you would quit and move on. Or we can teach you to love Jesus and you start seeing things we don't even see. That's what happens. We equip you to love Christ so that the service is coming from our hearts. See needs, meet them. You'll find your gift. Building up, this is the result, an inevitable result of preaching Christ. The flock is built up. The body of Christ is strengthened. Our Lord is at the head. He is at the helm. He is the captain of our salvation. And even the roughest storms, we find ourselves being built up because he's there building us up. Then we look at verse 13. Notice this verse again, how powerful this. We, this, is the, this is the pinnacle of what we're after. Until we all, that's you and I, every one of us, attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This is a verse that helps you understand God's plan for the church. He is transforming us individually each and every one so that there's a complete unit full of diverse gifts, diverse body, all working as one to reflect him, to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. He is bringing us into that stature, that fullness of Christ. This is his goal for Grace Bible Church. That is where we left left off last Sunday. Look at the next point in your bullet tonight. I think it should be point one. The immaturity that distorts God's master plan For the body of Christ. Notice in verse 14, your Bible may say, In order, or uh, so that, or as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, what Paul does here, and just led by the Spirit, is he, he uses a negative to bring about a positive. He says the results of this maturing process that God is taking us through, is he's conforming you and I to be like Christ, to, to look and reflect more like him individually, so collectively we become a picture of the incarnate Christ on earth. While that's happening, what will stop is this immaturity that often dominates the church today so he uses a negative to build a positive here so he says we will no longer be like children notice he says tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine this is a result of not being anchored can you see that Look at, look at the terminology he uses here. If you've ever been out on Monterey Bay or in a place where the waves were tossing you back and forth and you felt like you had no control, and the waves did with you whatever they wanted, that's a scary place, isn't it? This is what he says. Look, we are not to be like that. Tossed here and there, being pushed and carried. These are. This is a church describing a church that's not anchored in the word of God. And this is what it looks like. Some new 10 things to do, or have seven of these, or get another 25 of that comes along, and the church goes, Oh, that looks good. Let's go do that for a while. Oh, somebody wrote a new book. Oh, let's go do that. And you see how the church gets pushed back and forth because often the church is not grounded by the Word of God, our anchor is not there. There's a reaction to the things of the world. And that's because often many groups get man-centered versus Christ-centered. And so you're trying to constantly to to adjust to the needs of man. Oh, we better do this because there's a group that needs that. And there's a a group over here. And, And man's needs push back. And so now we begin to look at the scriptures according to the needs of man constantly. Now, that doesn't mean that man doesn't have needs. But we firmly believe when we preach Christ and preach him in an expo- expositional way through the scriptures, your needs will be met. Now, this has been a problem. Let me take you to a passage in Matthew chapter 16 to show you it kind of lived out. Our good friend Peter is the example again. We love Peter. He reminds us of ourselves often. He has great intentions, but often was not grounded Yet. And here we find him with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're having a conversation with... He, uh, with Jesus having a conversation with his disciples. And he's asked them earlier in the text, who do men say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some say you're this, and some say you're that. John the Baptist lies, you know, that goes through. And he goes, no, 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 who do you say? And that's when Peter steps up. Oh, you're the Christ. I mean, he just nails it. And Jesus says, wow, Peter... This wasn't even coming from you. The things that you have said here have come from my Father in heaven. And upon that, I'm going to build my church. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. That's the gospel in verse 19. And and this is going to be the establishment of my church. He gives this prophecy of the establishment of the church here in Matthew chapter 16. But in 21, things go a little awry. Verse 21, Jesus says, From that time, uh, Matthew records that Jesus tells them that he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests, scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, he's just told them this great news. We're going to build this church, what they probably saw possibly as the kingdom, and they're going to be given the keys to it. You can start to see why some religions put ropes and keys and things on them where they take this passage. They think things are going to be great. He's talking about the church that's going to come through the product of his death, burial, and resurrection. And he kind of gets lost in this because Jesus says, oh, by the way, I'm going to die a terrible death. And then I'm going to be raised from the dead. That didn't sit well with Peter. Look at verse 22. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Now, That word rebuke in the Greek means to expose air. You're probably working with the wrong guy, Peter, on exposing air. It should be reversed. And he said, God forbid it, Lord. Now, who just spoke? God incarnate was speaking to him, right? He told them, I'm going to suffer. So he is hearing what? He's hearing the words of God. This is the word of God. I'm come. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer at the hands of of wicked men. I'm going to be raised from the dead in third days. That is the word of God. That was the word of God to Peter. But he didn't believe it. He rejected it. He said, this shall never happen to you. Now look how Jesus takes care of this. You really don't want to be on the other side of this verse. But he turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Ooh. Heavy words. Now was Peter Satan? Certainly not. But who was the greatest arch enemy to God's eternal plan that only Jesus Christ could carry out? Satan. Satan brought all of his forces and everything he had trying to keep Christ from going to that cross. And so he relates him, you're not acting as though I have called you out of the world, you're acting of one who is in the world. Now look at this last phrase here, and this is what I'm after. For you're not setting your mind on God's intentions, God's interest, God's teaching, God's ways. But you are, literally, this is how it reads, but you are setting your interest, your intention on man's. See, there's a difference between Christ-centeredness and man-centeredness. And when our will that we conjure up outside of the scriptures doesn't match with the will of God through the word of God, there's usually a problem. And here it's a confrontation. And this is the dangers of anything we do, whether it's anything from parenting to the structure of the church, if we don't examine the scriptures, we end up thinking like a man. the Bible just says, you don't have to think that way. I have given you instruction for life and godliness. Search the word of God, believe me. This is what causes those, and back in Ephesians chapter four, to be tossed to and fro. This is where they're not anchored in the word of God. And they find themselves on the disciplined end of God's arm. Instead of the loving side of him at times, at least we feel that way. We find ourselves tossed here and two by waves because we we don't believe his doctrine. We don't believe his teaching. And when you hear the word doctrine, don't get scared of that. It just means means teaching, instruction. I've given you this. And yet so often it is rejected and we end up with churches that are so centered around man rather than Christ. Notice he starts to use some other language in here that is important. He says, by the trickery of of men it's I didn't know this word before because I think this is one of the only places it's used the Greek word for trickery is the word we get for cube which is the word they got for dice did anybody know they used what weighted dice oh hey put down some money on here let's roll that the weighted dice they would steal money from people an old trick they still do it to this day he says look don't be these people you are to be conformed to the image of Christ so you're not tossed to and fro. You are not tricked by man's schemes. See, as we examine today's Christianity at times, we just watch one after another spiritual rabbit show come along. It's just one after another, and so many just seem to not, don't know their Bible, come along, and they go, I'll put money down on that. good. One man said if he didn't raise enough money, God was going to kill him. Guess what? He got the money. It's trickery. It's, it's men. And, and when we're grounded in the word of God, we go, no, no, no. That's not God. That's not his word. That is not putting Christ at the head. I see through that. And you don't do it with proud pride and arrogance, but you humbly say, no, that's, that's not Jesus. Someone may come to your door and knock and hand you some piece of paper that denies Jesus as Christ. When you know your Bible, you go, you know, this denies Jesus Christ as God. And it is at him I will bow my knee to. You need Jesus today. See, you see it now. You understand it because you're being molded into the image of Christ. So when you see something that isn't Christ, you go, whoa, 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 whoa that's not him. That's not him. We're not going that direction. Notice he uses a few other words here that are fascinating. The word craftiness. It means those who manipulate the truth. They take it and twist and turn. They don't teach it in context. They use it for their own example. One man told me who was a great influence on me early in the scripture, early in my life and ministry. He said, Look, I could take the scriptures and start a new religion every day. I could find some passage and mold it into something, throw a few others in, get enough people that are wanting help, and boy, maybe this is the answer for my life, and pretty soon you got yourself a nice little cult going. And lots of money rolling in. People manipulate the scriptures all the time. Notice the word scheming, this is an interesting word. It is the word often attached to the devil. He loves to scheme. Ephesians chapter six, verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. His schemes, always trying to divert your eyes where they need to be. Bring them off. He's a sideshow trying to get you away from the main tent. He does not care about Christ. He cares about destruction and sin and foolishness. And so when you look at this verse in verse 14, you begin to realize that immature Christians can be easily fooled. And the church today unfortunately falls into this flirtation with false doctrine or man-centeredness. Notice one other aspect of this verse that I want to point out to you. Notice the word children. He said, no longer be children. Has he had something against kids? I don't think so. But this is, a, this is a term that Paul uses often. Remember this, 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Guess who he's writing to? An extremely immature church that is lost in their gifts, pushes and shoves. Always wants they always want to be out in the front. Everybody wants first place in their own lives instead of putting Christ first. And he says, "Don't be like children in your thinking." Earlier in First Corinthians thirteen, eleven, the great love chapter, because he's bringing them back to a church that if they don't love, they're just this clanging gong. You've taken all these gifts that I've given you, chapter 12, these many members, and you don't love one another, so now you're just a noisy gong. Somebody quiet that thing down. And he says this at the end of the chapter, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. See, there's a growing up here that Paul is after. When we mature to be like Christ, there's a change, we think different. We start to recognize things that, wow, there was a time that, that I, I, I went that road. But God is starting to grow me and mature me for his glory. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse two says, be like a newborn babe. But a newborn babe longs for the pure milk of the word so that he may grow in respect of it. You go, Scott, I, I'm new in the faith, man. Drink the word of God. Read it, study it, memorize it, put yourself under it anytime time you can. Grow in respect to your salvation. Understand what the Lord is doing. When Christians commit to loving and knowing and living out God's plan, we are anchored And not easily moved, not easily tricked, and not easily falling under the schemes of the man and devil that have become obvious to us. Peter said, resist the devil. Stand firm in your faith. It's not hard to illustrate this um, in in banking and metals and paper money and all of that. What do they do? They run so much real stuff through so that when one is false, what happens? Whoa, that doesn't feel right. See, study your Bible. No, and you may be listening to, quote, Christian radio. And you'll go, what was that? That sounded right. You'll even notice that. You'll watch the news on 5 o'clock or 6 or whatever you watch it, and you'll go, oh, no, they're going down a wrong track. That's not right. That's not correct. You'll begin to have this biblical, Christ-centered worldview that'll help you navigate through these schemes. Second, the witness and proof of God's master plan for the body of Christ. Notice verse 15, particularly the first part of it. But there's a conjunction there, leaning, really linking this negative thought, don't be tossed and fall into this trickery and schemes, but, but instead speak the truth in love. So now he's moving from this negative to a positive. The spiritually equipped church, whose many members love to seek and study the scriptures, they're seeing Christ as glorious in them, they love to pray, they repent knowing their sins, they learn to suffer for his glory, is the church that loves to share the gospel. That's what happens. Let me say this again. The spiritually equipped church, whose many members love and seek And study the scriptures, they see Christ glorious in them, they pray, they repent, they suffer for his glory, is a church that loves to share the gospel. You love to speak the truth in love. Notice the verse says, speak the truth. There is an article there. Not speak a truth, there is a central truth. There is truth in all areas. There's truth in our lives personally at home when no one can see them. There's truth on our lives on the job. There's truth as our lives part of the growing body of Christ. This truth is central to us. But when we see Christ as a sinner, when we pray, repent, and suffer for his glory, now there's a desire to share it. You want to share that with people. See, I don't think God gives us knowledge and understanding and brokenness in our lives and gifts just to keep it to ourselves, right? He's not maturing us as a body of Christ to say, okay, we're, we're, we're good here. Bolt the doors. Let's just stay here. His goal is to increase his body, to draw others in by the truth of the word of God. And so all this is given to us in order to do the work of the service in order to build up the body of Christ. Speak the truth in love. One thought on this is there's a tendency that we could speak truth, but we don't do it in love. Now what does that do to truth? If we speak truth, but don't do it in love, does it remain truthful It's a good question to think about. Let me give you an example. If you see someone that is doing something that opposes your Christian worldview, and you come down with them on a verse. You find a verse, and you take it and use it like a sledgehammer on them. The verses, it isn't the verses' fault, right? It is the way it was handled, Now, you may have spoken truth, but to that person, that truth was obliterated. They never heard the truth because it didn't come with love. See, in reality, the truth almost isn't the truth anymore because truth is solidified in the love that it's given. There's a real important aspect to that. So as we deal with one another in our marriages and are raising our children, our inner job relationships, we need to speak truth. But how are we going to speak it? How do we respond to one another? Is there love in that response? We want people to know the truth. So you have two options. You can come up to your buddy at work, take him, slam him against the wall in the break room and say, you better get Jesus or you're going to hell. That's not going to go over really well. Is the fact that if he doesn't know Jesus that he could be in hell? It is absolutely true, isn't it? But what did he catch? This person's mean. I don't want to ever hear this person again. I don't want to know what they know. I don't want anything to do with them. But you could go to him and say, hey, brother, I just want to talk to you for a minute. Can I tell you a story about my life? I was a terrible sinner. Oh, I was raised in a suburban America and went to school and had brothers and sisters. But I was evil. I didn't love God. I chose to live my own life and live for him. And I was hell bound. And then one day someone shared Jesus Christ with me. That he hung on a cross and died for all of that. And I gave my life to him, and and he took me and washed my sins away, and and I'm going to spend eternity with him. Would you like to study some scriptures with me at break or at lunch? See, same message, but spoken truth. Spoken truth. We can do that. God empowers us to do those things. Notice, in this verse, it says, we are to grow up in all aspects. Now, I want you to make a little word play here. Verse 14, he said, don't long, do not longer be children. We are no longer to be children. Notice in verse 15, he says, we are to grow up. Think that's a word play going on there? You see that? First, verse 14, don't be children. Verse 15, grow up. Grow up. Now, children that are in here, it's okay to be a child. <laughs> you are a child physically. But adults, it is no longer proper for us who have the instruction of the word of God to remain in an infant stage of Christianity. We are to grow up. When we speak the truth in love, we will grow. We are to grow up. This this word is used, it's a subjunctive verb here, so it has more of the idea that you should be growing up now. You you should be going up. Hebrews chapter 5, I shouldn't do this. Somewhere in there it says that you ought to be teachers by now. Instead, you're still nursing a bottle. That's my interpretation of the verse. But it's true. Read it. You can't eat steak. You can't eat meat of the word. You can't deal with doctrine and sovereignty of God and salvation and truth. You're just sucking a bottle because you're so caught up in self. Grow. See, he's pushing us, grow, grow. Grow as I have taught you to and be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we don't grow, it hurts our connection because you'll see as this verse unplays that we are connected together by Christ and his individual people are all tied together by Christ and he is the one who causes the growth. Look at Colossians chapter one, verse 10. I want to show you this verse quickly. Just to your right, two books. Verse 9, he doesn't stop, cease praying. We talked about this last week for the body of believers at Colossae. Here in verse 10, he says the reason why, he's wanting them to grow, verse 9, in their knowledge of of his, God's will, and their spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the reason he wants them to grow, notice in verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Notice this, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. These are beautiful terms here. To please him in every respect, in all respects. Wouldn't that be nice to lay your head down at night and say, Lord, I, I please you in marriage. Thank you, Lord. I please you in, in parenting and job. Lord, I, didn't, I couldn't do that without your help. Boy, I want to get there. Isn't that what he wants us to do? That's what Paul's praying for these body believers. Go back to our text with me and look at the end of this. The last point this morning is the eternal and central power, the internal and central power to God's master plan for the body of Christ. Look at the end of 15. That we may grow up in all, your Bible might say, every aspect into him. Every, that word all, these are my favorite little words in the circle of my Bible, all. It's, in, it's in inclusive. It doesn't let us act like unbelievers on the job and believers when we come to church. He wants us to grow up in every aspect, all aspects into him. That's Jesus, who is the head. Growing up. This is, this is loving believers testifying of truth who are growing in every aspect of the church and, the, and where God has placed us in in a Christ-centered way because Christ is the head. Think about that. If you look at the way God designed our bodies, there's a brain within the body. It is the control center of the physical body. It no, Nothing, nothing works without the head. When the head is gone, it is... It can be kept alive. We, we have record, I don't know if you all saw that article, the woman who died in December and they kept her alive and she birthed a baby this, this last week. And her husband rejoiced over the birth of this little child and then had the funeral for the mom. There's a little girl here you've seen in the news just in our own Bay Area that is brain dead and families fighting to keep her alive. I have been in these hospital rooms. I've seen brain dead children. And it's, it's frightening. It's difficult. They have movements. Things happen. But in reality, nothing's working except machines. And it's extremely hard to watch. Parents say, okay, let them go. The point is, if Christ isn't the head, Things can function. A woman had a baby with a brain dead. Things can happen. Church can do stuff. There can be programs. But in reality, it's a sad state. Paul's warning us. Make Christ the head of the church. And if anything comes along that wants to replace him as head, any person, any ideas, any philosophies, any groups, get rid of them. (laughs) It doesn't work. He's warning us. It doesn't work. Keep him as head of the church. Let me show you two verses that that we cling to. We cling to His leadership and as a church. Go to Colossians. Back there with me just real quickly. Verse 18. This is this Christ. He's incomparable to anything. And, and Paul is writing to the Colossae church to put, to put Christ as a center of everything they do. A church he hasn't even yet seen. He hasn't been there physically. But he's warning them, don't let anything else get in the way. And in verse 18, he says about Jesus, Jesus, he is the, he is also the head of the body. The church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's he's the first one raised so we can have evidence that we'll be raised from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So when the guys, the worship leaders get together and have a meeting and we talk about what? How we can keep Christ centered in our music and in our worship. We talk about preaching and teaching and training men. How can we help keep Christ the central theme of all that we do here when we get together and work on children's ministry? God is raising up people to care for our young ones. We get together and we talk about how we can present Christ to these children so they fall in love with the Christ of the scriptures. This is the driving emphasis of the church. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. I could spend the rest of the afternoon showing you these verses. Look at verse 19. And not holding fast to the head. This is the problem. Verse 18, they had got into all kinds of things. They're worshiping angels and visions. And Does that sound familiar? The church seems to go right back around to things that don't work. And he's getting on them. He says, look, don't get into this stuff. Verse 19, they're not holding fast to the head. From whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with growth, which is from God. Oh boy, we lose our head. We could function mechanically for a while, but it'll all die. It'll all die in time. Jesus is the head of all things. Look at verse 16. We'll close with this. Chapter four, Ephesians. The the illustration is so clear. I I hope you can see this now. We grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Verse 16, that that 16 verse, there's a bad break. This should just flow. Remember, he's writing a letter here. Whom, even Christ, whom, Christ, he's speaking of Christ, the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint supplied according to the proper working of each individual part. So here we begin to realize that Christ is not only the head of the church, but He's the tendons, the ligaments, the muscle structure that holds us together. Christ, everything. We have no connection to one another without Him. You remember the skeletons in science class in high school? You'd go up and look at them to be hanging on that little thing, and there's all those rubbery things that held everything together called your tendons. You tear one and you go to surgery. The Bible's saying, look, not only is Christ the head, the source of all strength, power, and wisdom, but he's also what keeps you and I together. All the many parts are kept together by this Christ who holds us together. Our relationship with one another is based on Jesus. It's the only way to last through eternity. It's the only one it was. Churches fall apart because we weren't connected by Jesus. That's what happens to him. That's why you were involved with the Elks Club for a long time, and then you left. You just kind of grew out of that club, or you were hanging out with this group, but that kind of changed. With Christ, he keeps us together. He keeps us bonded and held together. Every movement is supplied by him. Every breath is supplied by him. Everything that's cleansed and purified by the many members is all done according to him. He is our all in all. Colossians 2.10 says, in him you have been made complete. Now, last phrase, and I'll quit. I I mean, I could preach on this stuff for weeks. It's so exciting to get your mind around what the church is supposed to be doing. It's exciting to see that he's gathered these people and he's made us this particular special group for his glory. Notice the last phrase, causing growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, if I've heard... From many of the home groups, the the wanting to grab gifts and understand well, what's my role in all of those things? Well, let me take you to um, two passages, Mark chapter nine, real quickly. Mark chapter nine, and then we'll close with Philippians two. I want to get these passages in because I know you're going to hit them in your home groups this week. Mark chapter nine, verse thirty-five. Jesus has been seen by um, Peter, James, and John in his transfiguration. They know he's the Christ. They want to be in his kingdom. And so he tells them how they can be the greatest in the kingdom here. This is his answer to them in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 35. It's the answer for us as well. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, now listen to what he says. If you want to be first... If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and a servant of all. What what a verse for the church. You say, well, Scott, I got all these gifts. I'm ready to go. I'm wound up and just turn me loose. Okay, be last and be a servant of all. See, isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what he did in Philippians chapter two? Philippians chapter two, this isn't what he did? And aren't we supposed to resemble him? Isn't he the one who said, let this be an example to you? Philippians chapter two, verse five, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, whom although he existed in the form of God, completely equality with God, he did not regard his equality with God something to hang on to, he let it go for a time. He veiled his glory. He stepped back from the position that he had as creator and sovereign of all things. He relinquished that to his father. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. I will confess to you, often when I read this, I go to, wow, he was made like a man. But I miss the middle point. In the form of a bondservant. He washed his disciples' dirty feet. He dealt with demonics, paralytics, prostitutes. He's a bondservant. When you study Jesus' life, he taught the way, the truth, and life. He did all those things, but he constantly ministered. He saw needs and he met them. There's a need, I'm gonna go meet it. When he heard about needs, he met them. This is what he does and I think this is a, the verse that I think drives the church. Be like Christ. Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse five. Be a bondservant. So, you want to be involved in the church. See needs. Meet them. Pray. If you don't see them, pray and ask God to help you see them. Ask him to show you where you want where he wants you to use your abilities and and what he wants you to do. Pray, beg God, say, God, I need to have eyes to see. And he'll do it. He'll show you. Maybe he just wants you to be one who prays at home. God will show you. Serve the king and he'll direct your paths. Father, I get overwhelmed by this passage. We get so far away from this at times in, in your blood-bought church. We get so lost in our talents and our performances and our abilities, Lord, and we forget that we are this blood-bought group of people. We were not... Chosen because we have some special gift that you couldn't live without. We are not the church because you needed us, Lord. You are completely self-sufficient. We are these people chosen from the winds and seas of humanity that you've brought us in to make us part of your body, Lord. This is a special group of people, Lord that you washed our sins away, and you give us the title of bride, as bride to Jesus Christ. Lord, let us not overlook what you've called us to be a part of. Let us not make church about us. May we keep the head securely fastened as the head, the one that gives life and breath to all things. May we keep Jesus Christ between all of us, being that tendons, those ligaments that hold us together. May he be the glue to our friendships, our fellowship, our bonding, our unity, Lord. Oh, Jesus, help us keep you where you belong. Rebuke us when we don't. Expose our error, our shortcomings, Lord. And Lord, may we quickly reverse the path we're on and put you back where you rightly deserve. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing that here, Lord. We see it. We don't take credit for it, Lord, but we are watching what you're doing, Lord. We are praising you for it, Lord. May this drive to keep you as a sinner, Lord, be infectious to this group, Lord. Infectious in our home groups and our small groups and our women that meet together and care for one another and men's Bible studies. And Lord, I pray to just be infectious to us, Lord. That it would be our drive. And Grace Bible Church, maybe the name would fade away, but Christ Church that meets there on the corner of Six and Monterey loves Jesus. We pray that, Lord, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.